Hey everybody, welcome to Band Advice TV and uh, the Matt and Mark Insightful Observation. Nope, that's not right. <laughs> Finally came up with a name and I'll be darned if I can remember it. <laughs> okay, it's the Matt and Mark's Astute Observations and Insightful Discussions about Music Podcast. I am Mark. I'm Matt. How's it going, man? It's going good, man. Awesome. Not much, not much. I'm donning my OSU hat. Oh, yeah? Yeah. A lot of my life and a lot of my parents' money went to OSU. Yeah. What you... <laughs> But you show Matt and I started at Stillwater many, many moons ago. We had a little acoustic duo called Bourbon Street. Why don't you, for our viewers, show uh, show off what you uh, uncovered? This right here was a, a poster from one of our last shows in Stillwater at this coffee shop across from campus called the Dark Mave. Yeah, it's right across from Hideaway Pizza, right? Yeah, Upstairs. right, right there. And then we had our friend Mike Ward, who we hope is watching. He he opened up for us, which it should have been the other way around, but. Anyway, he played that show with us. It was a good time. We yeah. had a lot of fun doing that. Sure did. So yeah, that's uh, let's see. It says April twenty second. So that'd have been nineteen ninety three. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> long time ago. But yeah, because but that was our last gig in Stillwater together, at least at that time, because I was uh, getting ready to matriculate from college and it's going to uh, uh, enter into the business world, the real world. Man, that was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was interesting about that time, though, and uh, one of the reasons we're in the hat, a uh, little backtrack. On January 1st, I went to a thing called a hangover ball at Kane's Ballroom. And this is about uh, 12 or 15 uh, red dirt musicians, I guess, for the lack of a better term. Cody Canada puts it on. And, you know, there's guys from Turnpike Troubadours and uh, uh, the Great Divide and several others. And people have been around for forever. And, and they just kind of did their acoustic singer-songwriter thing and went around Robin, had a set of five, then a set of four, then another set of five. And five hours later, definitely had some inspiration. So uh, where, where I'm going with this little this story is it, it really kind of, it definitely inspired me to kind of get back to the roots of what was going on at that time while we were in Stillwater. And that was the birth of Red Dirt, pretty much, the Red Dirt music scene. At a little place called the farm out there in Stillwater. Did you ever yeah. go to the, out the farm? I never did. I never did either. And you know, I think one of my, if I could look back, and one of my regrets, you know, because we were hanging out, we were part of that scene in, in Stillwater. We we're hanging out with the Medicine Show and all that. One of my regrets is I kind of wish I would have had one more year out there because no. we could have really taken taken our duo and kind of integrated into that and really learned from those guys and you know worked with them, collaborated and stuff like that, and could have really been part of that really awesome scene that came out of there and that is uh you know still going on pretty well you know yeah oh yeah it's 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 spread all over the place you know partly the thing was when i was down there we weren't we weren't really writing a lot of originals you know that scene tends to be more focused on original music rather than you know covers of whatever now they do like to do the covers and stuff but it's not just going to be your typical stuff usually right right like you know you're it's not like your college rock band covers, you know, <laughs> no. usually. So they wrote their own music and that was kind of before I got involved in writing my own stuff. And, you know, you'd already, you'd written some songs. Right. And so we did those and stuff, but, uh, you know, I went and seen the medicine show probably more than any band in the world. You know, I just liked their music. I liked them. They were cool. The, the music was good. Mm-hmm. good. It re- reminded me a lot of things that I liked and, you know, they played a lot in Stillwater and Tom Skinner. I saw him the first time there and got mm-hmm. to know all them and, I was I played at that uh, Tom Skinner Festival last fall, you know, and I'm sitting there watching Scott Evans and Brad at, Brad James and all those people like that. And I'm like, man, I've been watching these guys for 
close to 30 years some yeah. of them you know it's like wow this is amazing well, it was kind of funny i was at the blue dome uh fest uh, well, uh what was that last may i was mm-hmm. just watching a band there play and uh sound guy was running around and his name was don he had these really long dreadlocks and i look it's like i think that's donnie wood yeah so he sat down i go you used to play bass from medicine show didn't you he's like yeah I used to run lights for you. He goes, well, you're pretty old then, just like me. It's like, yes, I am. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's uh, definitely a trip down memory lane. And, sure. And I remember that time you and I played uh, at the, well, you did the, the science project a couple times, I'm mm-hmm. sure. But you, you and I played it at least once. And, yeah. And, and uh, got to sit in with you know, Tom Skinner. And, you know, if you don't know the red dirt scene, uh, look up the name Tom Skinner. Look up the name Rocky Frisco and a lot of these guys. Cause, Bob Childers. Uh, Bob Childers, right. Because he, he owned the farm, right? You know, I'm not really exactly sure. There's on one it. of those guys that he actually owned the farm, and they called it, it's like it was a summer vacation spot or whatever. Oh, okay. I, it's my understanding that it's pretty much a, just a dilapidated building that everyone just would go out there and just have these big campfires and sit around and collaborate and play music and things like that. And Sounds just, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. You just don't see things like that. And you know, you can't make things like that happen. They have to happen mm-hmm. organically, and yeah. it was definitely a thing. But you know, to to your point though, they were doing original music. They're writing stuff. You know, I look at some of the credits on on these songs. It's like, oh, by the way, too. Just a side note: Tom Skinner used to play was the bass player for Garth Brooks, and in fact, the story goes back in the day. Garth Brooks wanted to be in Tom Skinner's band, and then I guess Tom ended up in his. So, kind of interesting, uh, interesting little factoid. But I, I really feel that if I would have stuck around for another year. We would have gotten into collaborating and writing and stuff like that, and really could have uh, could have ridden that wave, I, I guess. But uh, alas, the real world was a calling me. <laughs> yeah, well, it happens. It happens. <laughs> and you had yeah, your your band, Tide Eyed Sunrise, that you're really working hard on too. Mm-hmm. So, but at that time, I wasn't. You know, that was already kind of over with. Howard had graduated, and you know, Tim had moved away, and so I spent a lot of time those last two or three years in college just going and watching people and recording at my house and getting together what later became you know the first album that i did mm-hmm. and uh you know that was it just took a lot of time to kind of get used to performing and get used to performing acoustic and writing stuff that you know you think that halfway maybe somebody might be interested in hearing it took a long time man yeah. just trying to learn how to do it and so I don't really go around advertising I'm a red dirt musician by any stretch of imagination, but those guys really helped me to mm-hmm. kind of like see a different, little bit different way of it. And, you know, we had a lot in common and influences and growing up in Oklahoma and stuff. And, but, you know, I, I'm not really out there telling everybody what I do is red dirt because some of it is and some of it really right. isn't, you know. Yeah, you've, you've taken it your own direction. Yeah, and so I'd say I was kind of in the offshoot family of it all. You know, I've recorded with Rocky Frisco. I've played gigs with a lot of those guys, and, you know, they're all really cool dudes for one reason or another, you know, and so that was pretty good little scene there in Stillwater. I mean, it was little. I mean, it was Willie's, Joe's. And about, dog. yeah, about 20 people that did all the music, you yep. know, yep. and they were, you know, some of them were living around Stillwater. Some of them were coming up from Texas once in a while. And, you know, it was just kind of a little thing that was happening there. And so mm-hmm. yeah, a little thing that got pretty big for a while. Yeah. I yeah. mean, no doubt about it, but still there's, there's plenty of people out there that are still going strong and yep. still doing it. Yeah. I just, I read the other day and I need to look this up, uh, that there was a student film that was actually built around this whole thing. And it was, I think it was called 
north of Austin and west of Nashville. And it's oh. talking about the the red dirt scene. So I'm, that's on my uh, to-do list is to see if I can find that somewhere. I'm sure it's a, a bad YouTube copy somewhere. But Yeah. Uh, was that the deal that Ripley was involved in maybe? I don't remember. I just, I I just I happened to come across it the other day while I was just you know, Googling randomly like I tend to do when I'm bored at work. So, but we're songwriters now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've long years ago yeah. started doing that and it's tough, man. There's no formula for any of it really. I mean, when it does become a formula, it just sounds pretty predictable. Well, yeah, I kind of have this theory and it's, uh, that there's, there's three, three types of songwriting. You know, the first one is the inspired one. It's when you you sit down with your guitar at the piano and it just comes over you. Something just gives you all this juice and you just you you just whip out this awesome song. And you know, sometimes it doesn't all happen at once. Sometimes it's got to sit on the shelf for a couple of years to to you find that perfect verse as well. Uh, and then there's the the contrived, the intentional songwriting. This is you know, not not to down it, but this is what your your Nashville scene is when you get two or three guys that are thrown in a room on a a Tuesday afternoon and they have to write two or three hits or two or three songs. And hopefully one or more of those will become hits. Yeah. And, uh, that's, that's also where you get your, uh, your song fixers, those guys that come in after the fact and they will, they'll tweak this lyric and tweak that lyric and then they get their names on the credits as well. So right. that'd be a pretty good gig to have. Sure. And then, uh, the third one is one that I've kind of experienced recently. Uh, it's the recycled, <laughs> recycled songs. You know, I've over the years, I mean, I don't know if you guys can see it, but behind me, I got stacks and stacks of cassette tapes I just came across that are all just four tracks and song ideas and things like that. And there was a, a tune that I had record, wrote, recorded early 2000s that I just suddenly decided I wanted to try it in faster tempo and do a couple chord changes. And I kind of recycled a good chunk of the lyrics and reworked the, the melody. And it's like, I've got this really awesome song now that came out of one that was pretty good at the time, but it was it was never what I was really hoping for, but now I have it. So you, you, and there's a lot of my songs too that I've recycled the lyrics on. So you can go back to those tapes and say, Oh yeah, I see where you got that lyric from that one and that one and that one and that one. So, yeah. well, you so know. that's, that's kind of the way things are with me and my song and my iPhone. If you could look at the, the voice memos on it, hundreds of them, yeah. just, you know, 20, 30 second bits of this and that. And I'll, you know, sometimes driving down the highway and just come up with a, a lyric or whatever. And are you in a phrase? Yeah. Yeah, just some I mean, sort of I can idea. I can be listening to a, an, anything on the radio, like a talk show or just something, an, an interview, and it's like they use some little phrase, and it's like it gets me to thinking. Yeah. yeah. Next thing you know, I've gotten a whole song written just mm-hmm. around this little phrase that I heard somebody use. Yeah. Iron the Prize was kind of like that. Oh, cool. You know, uh, just that way. And then, you know, I've also, like, you just write the music first. Mm-hmm. You know, the more rock songs, a lot of times I just write the music first and be like, okay, this is what we're going to do for the intro. This is the, right. what we're doing for the verse. This is going to be where you can sing and play over the verse. So let's make this a little bit simpler in mm-hmm. the verses. Then, you know, you kind of write the music first, then you come up with the lyrics. That's pretty easy because you can come up with something that's moving, it's grooving, it's 345 or whatever, and then you fit these great lyrics into it. And, I mean, that works that works well, sure. you know. I wrote "Tail It Wags the Dog" like that, and I wrote uh, "Twisting in the Wind" like that. You know, just writing the music first, and then writing the lyrics <laughs> in there. Yeah, it doesn't always work like that for me. You know, I've got shards of paper and yeah. you know memos on my phone, memos on my last three phones, mm-hmm. probably that <clears throat> are could be candidates for 
some songwriting, whatever, you know, riffs to lyrics to just little pieces to whatever, you know? Yeah. I think I've, I think a lot of, a lot of the professionals, they'll actually go into the studio and take that approach. It's like, okay, you got a guitar riff. Let's get some drums going. We'll get the music laid out. Somebody will hum or just put some nonsensical words together to, to be placeholder for the melody. Then they'll go back and, uh, and rework those. Or sometimes they won't go back and rework those because, uh, well, there's two two cases. Uh, one was uh, Poison's Unskinny Bop. Mm. The term Unskinny Bop, it was just nonsensical words he threw in there as a placeholder. And by the time they got done, he was like, yeah, let's keep it. And the other one, uh, Aerosmith's Walk This Way. They they struggled. They couldn't come up with a chorus whatsoever. They went out and had dinner and, and drank a bunch of wine or something like that. Ended up going to see Young Frankenstein. Yeah. And uh, they had Marty Feldman was doing that. He's introducing, welcoming people into the establishments as, you know, walk this way. And they all kind of walked hunched over like he was. Yeah. They went back to the studio and, he, and Steven Tyler just started singing walk this way over it. And there you go. That's it. Isn't that crazy how that, that kind of inspiration hits? Yeah, man. There's all those songwriting stories like that. I tell you, one of my favorite lyrics that I wrote was very just picked out of the air kind of thing. And uh, it's when we were at your studio and you were working on... Uh, working on a new tune idea and you had a couple of lyrics down for the chorus and you're kind of stuck. You had your chord changes and all that and played it. And, uh, you know, the song I'm talking about. Oh right? yeah. Between the night. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Cause you had the, I think the, <clears throat> the first part of the hook is, uh, rich man makes rules and the poor man writes a song. That's true. And then you couldn't think of whatever. So I was just kind of sitting here piddling around with you went to the other room and I, I said, and I'm caught somewhere between the night and the break of dawn. I could hear from the other room. Yes, that's yeah, it. That's it. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, there you go. So that's that's how how we wrote that. Now, song, when we so. did Truck Stop Sinatra, though, we got out a map and looked on, looked at uh-huh. like a local, a, a, a believable trucker out of what where you'd be coming right. from. And, you know, that was a, a fictitious story, but it's still pretty good. You know, I, I think it came out really oh, good. Sure, sure. Yeah, that was uh, that stretch of uh, Highway 55 up through Chicago, which I being from Milwaukee, I've driven that several times going back up there to visit and you know, the Dixie truck stop. I like, stop there every time. I stop there every time. Yeah. So yeah. So sometimes you draw your inspiration from that. You'll, you'll have a, a great idea and then you build upon it and stuff like that. I heard a really funny story one time from Arlo Guthrie, kind of ironic because we were just talking about him earlier, but he was talking about writing songs and uh, he says, all the songs in the world have already been written. They're just like fish in the stream, and they're just going up and down the stream, and you just got to cast your line and try to catch them. And he goes, then you get some people like Bob Dylan who just catch them all. It's like, come on, Bob, can you throw a couple back? Yeah, right. <laughs> right on. So, yeah, you know, that's that's a possibility, too. It's so. weird, man. I mean, you know, I don't really suffer from a lot of writer's block. What I suffer from is like... You get a good idea of a song, and now well, how are we going to get this recorded? How are we right. going to get the, the, just the logistics of getting it all together? Mm-hmm. And so that's the struggle, and just having the time to do it, you know? Because like I said, I'm always trying to go out there and play, and it's just really hard to fit it all in, you know, on a shoestring budget. So that's my big challenge yeah, is yeah. I, I got, you know, you want to do a rock record? I've got 30 riffs we can choose from that that are good and that I think would work. And you want to write a folk record? I got that too. You mm-hmm. know, we, we go in here and brush some of these off and, <laughs> you know, get it, get them together. And a couple of, couple of songs a day, we could have a, you know, something else out there. And so I don't really suffer from that as so much as just the, the follow through, the complete, right, completing right. it all, you know, it's just, it's tough to hang in there. Yeah. There's, there's been a, several songs that I, I'd write and it's like, well, you know, I, 
I want to go ahead and get it recorded, but I didn't have the wherewithal for the drums and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, this, this, you need to have the rest of the instrumentation. And then after sitting around for a couple of months trying to figure out how you're going to do this, you kind of lose interest in it. The song no longer has that awesome appeal to you. It's just become, you know, just another tune. Yeah. So I've been very trying to be very diligent about when I am inspired to one, get the song finished as quickly as I can get it written, be happy with the lyrics and then try to get it down, mm-hmm. get it down on tape as quickly as I say tape, you know, down on digital about as quickly as possible. And, uh, if I have to go back and redo it later, I'll go back and redo it. But at least I'll have, have something there that I could say, Hey, this is a, a tune I wrote. Yeah. This is yeah. just my rough carving that I started with. Well, this, There's one tune that I had, had written. Actually, it's back when American Idol was on and they decided because somebody whined and complained about the cheesy songs that they had. Really? So, <laughs> so they said, okay, well, we'll show you. We'll open it up to America to write our, our, our number one hit. So I, I started writing a tune, uh, and actually wrote the whole thing, submitted it. And, uh, yeah, along with 10,000 other people. So I don't, <laughs> I don't think I made it past the first, first note, but whatever. Still it was a cool tune. And, uh, on my 40th birthday, my wife surprised me with a trip out to Nashville. And she goes, oh, by the way, you can record a song at the Ryman. It's like, what? Okay. <laughs> so uh, I decided to record it at the Ryman. And uh, I just, I enjoy that recording so much. And it's it's rough. It's just an acoustic guitar and my vocals. And uh, I just don't want to re- record it now. Because it's like, that is that version and that story of that song now is, is it set. And that's, you know. Kind of the way I wanted to stay. So. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, uh, there's all kinds of quotes and stuff, but I mean, songs are a lot like kids. You know, some of them grow up to be doctors and lawyers. Some of them grow up to be bums. You no, know, and all points in between. And so, you know, it is what it is. I hate that expression, but that's yeah. what. That's basically what was. You know, you get it to a spot, and you're like, "Hey, I like it this way." You know, <laughs> I listen to some of the stuff I recorded that I didn't put out, and it's like. How can we didn't put out this version of it? This sounds so much more natural. It sounds so much more me. It sounds mm-hmm. so much more like I wanted the song to sound. You know, and maybe some of the just dice, dicing and going into it and thinking about it too much. It's just, you know, there's something you said for that magic of just playing it once or twice and going yeah. with that. You know, all those records that Dylan did and people like that and that, that day. I mean, it wasn't just micromanaged down to... You right, know, right. It was more natural, organic. If there's a mistake here or there, big deal. Just go with it. The mm-hmm. song is what really matters, not really necessarily the perfection of it all. Right, you know, right. The feel of it was what matters. Yeah, to this day, David Gilmore says he, he does not like the intro solo to Wish You Were Here. He says he listens to it and cringes. And <laughs> it's like he knows where his mistakes were. He knew what he wanted to play and what didn't happen, but they just went with it. And it's one of the most iconic acoustic sounding solos that's out there so i mean he's he's been really fortunate and a lot of stuff he's done is amazing oh did you hear his black strat is going up for auction at christie's along with like 119 other guitars oh man that black strat though it just it's it's a it's a work of art what makes it unique for you guitar geeks out there is he went and modified it so that he could actually have all three of a single coil pickups on that strat on at the same time so he's got if you look he's got a little toggle switch in there and that'll toggle uh, an extra toggle switch. It'll toggle for all three of them to be on. So he actually has seven different combinations he can use for those. Wow. Kind of, yeah. I thought about modding mine that way. It's like, shh, I'd, I'd mess it up and none of them would work. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is, you know, diagram, wiring diagrams for all of it. You oh, know? Yeah. And I think that was a Pete. He, that was a piecemeal guitar. He got it from maybe different, different pieces or something. I was reading something about it. Parts caster kind of thing. Yeah. So, 
he's putting it all up for auction or sale somewhere to benefit some charities that he's behind has Mm -hmm. been for a long time, which is a real noble cause. You know, it's like, I mean, he's up there and up there in the rare air, man. I mean, he's got tons of instruments. He's come towards maybe the end of his career. I don't know. He's still doing it. No, he just, uh, about a year and a half ago, he went back and redid the, uh, the Pompeii concert. Oh yeah. He did that. Uh, just, of course him and some of the other guys. Yeah, so it's like he still he still got it. There's a lot of lot of uh, interviews and YouTube videos and stuff of him out there too. But yeah, yeah. Well, Rick Nielsen's another one of those guys that just he's got tons and tons of stuff. In fact, I saw him on American Pickers a couple weeks ago, and uh, he's letting them go through and pick some of his guitars and yeah. stuff. And there's one that they try to buy off of him, and I think it was one of those checkerboard ones. And Rick's like. No, no, I'm not going to sell it to you. Yeah. No. Well, he no, had a no, store that, on Reverb for a yeah. while. I don't know he if said, he still got it. He but. said, like, the, you guys, you can't afford this guitar, but I'll tell you what, you can go hang it up in your shop, and it'll stay there, and every time I'm in town, I'll come by and play it. And they're like, deal! <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, but yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm I'm excited for when the, uh, the Bob Dylan archives open up here in Tulsa. That's going to be pretty... Pretty insane. Well, I think it'll draw a lot of attention to Tulsa that maybe, you know, people from all over the world will want to come mm-hmm. here. Well, we've got the we got the Woody Guthrie Center, which has got all of his archives and stuff in it, too. That mm-hmm. uh, I think it's another one that the uh, Kaiser Foundation brought in. Or Yeah, it's, it's it's had a lot of, like, you know, privately funded investors, I right. think. In fact, uh, John Cougar Mellencamp was here about a year ago. It may have been less than that. Uh, earning, or receiving the uh, Woody Guthrie achievement award or something like that. And he was, he'd put on a nice little presentation and oh. speech there. And uh, so now with the Bob Dylan archives coming, it's like uh, Tulsa, Tulsa's coming into its own. I mean, there is a lot of music history here and a lot of, a lot of great songs that came out of this area. You know, everything Bob Wills and, Oh yeah. And you know, Garth is this, this area. And, there's, there's a lot of talent here. There yeah. has been for a long time. I and mean, I just don't, you know, <laughs> we just I, lost a great with Roy Clark. Oh you know? man, yeah. I mean, that guy was. I don't think he was. He wasn't from Tulsa, but he kind of made Tulsa's adopted home, and so everybody, yeah. you know, I think he thought of Tulsa's. Well, he lived here since the time I moved down here. So, yeah, you know, and then, probably you know, his post hee haw days. It was just like a good spot to be because it's you know pretty laid back living and Gary Busey's from here, pretty inexpensive, <laughs> and there's lots of weird things here. You yeah, know? they're like yeah. the weird inspiration. You know, you can go to the center of the universe. Mm-hmm. You can go to all these crazy different things and see all this stuff that you just can't see anywhere else. Cause it's not like a corporate thing. It's, this is real. Right. This is reality. Yeah. And so that is always going to have a certain appeal to artists and people like that. But I guess. unfortunately for the gigging musician, <laughs> yeah. uh, Tulsa is one of those markets that is, it's large enough to where you think it's going to have a, a, a good, original scene you got a lot of people that want to get out there and play original music but it's small just just a little too small to support it mm. you just don't have a place for original music around here you know it's it, the most of your your patronage is going to be people that want to hear you know stuff that's on the radio it's you know latest and greatest dance hall mix or you know country line dancing songs or or uh well, as i said in one of the earlier shows you know the the forties and fifties doctors, lawyer bands that play all the seventies and eighties dance music, you know? Yeah. That's, that's, that's what the scene is here. And it's, it's unfortunate because there, there used to be a pretty hopping little blues scene when Flash Terry and all those guys are going, uh, you know, the Bob Wills is here. 
years and years back. And I, I just thought, thought it was, you know, this is a good enough scene and anything. All it needs is an audience. You know, and when yeah. you can go and see somebody that's been on two Grammy winning albums playing to 12 people on a Tuesday night for free, mm-hmm. no cover. I mean, mm-hmm. all that needs is an audience. Yeah. Because so. in Chicago, there'd be people out, there'd be people there. There'd, and I think a lot of people are moving here from other places. I see a lot more out of state plates here than ever did. Yeah, true. And there's becoming a lot more people. And, you know, it's just a matter of time before Tulsa's just like every other big city, you know. It's, all these problems and all this, all these issues and everything else. But in the meantime, we got a lot of cool stuff here. That's mm-hmm. not really anywhere else. And I think that Dylan thing will really draw yeah. some attention here and, and maybe hopefully somebody will come here and say, let's open up a club. That's nothing but original music. Yeah. Don't come here with your brown eyed girl cover band. <laughs> this is all about the songwriters and the original people that want to do their own songs. Mm-hmm. I hope that something like that maybe come around and there's places like that here now but they're not so much in the concerned about what's going on there they're just concerned about staying open it looks like right. to me you know well you get the gypsy 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 the gypsy coffee house that's down there uh over near where spaghetti warehouse used to be right and uh i went and played there about 10 years ago when i was trying to get back into you know doing the playing gigs again after being away from it a while and their whole deal was is all original music no yeah. covers, only original music. And I went out there with my, my girlfriend at the time, and uh, I looked around, and I realized, okay, this is a coffee house, which automatically means that all ages are welcome. And I realized that I was about two times older than most of the people there. <laughs> it's like, yes, I could be that guy's father. I could yeah. Be, it's, so the stuff I was playing, even though it's much better than anything else they were playing, <laughs> not to be <laughs> egotistical, uh, it was not. It was not going to have appeal to these uh, borderline millennials that were out there. So, you know, it's is what it is. But well, that, we'll every see. every vineyard, every kind of thing has got its certain purpose. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, and that place, I think, is it's, it's a place where you know you go out and try new material out, where in front of a non judgmental audience. True. True. You know, I mean, I've 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 seen a few shows there and. Yeah, it's not anything about glamour or money or anything, but at least you can go out there and play to somebody. Yeah, that's true. Whether they care about what you're doing or not, that's a whole other story <laughs> yet to be seen. Has anybody gotten rich playing there? No, but they've gotten to, you know, air out some songs and just do something that, you know, there's none of this expectation of, if this band doesn't play this, I'm leaving. Right. I get right, right. so tired of that. Sure. You know, it's like, look, um, Tom Petty can't make it tonight. Yes, we've played Tom Petty songs before. Yes, we did some of that set before. But if you're hell bent on hearing Tom Petty, I'm not going to play any more Tom Petty. So if you just are so mad you want to leave, go ahead and leave. I can't really stop that. Yeah. You know, I'm here to do what I'm doing, and I've thought about what I'm doing. It's kind of planned out. It's not just I'm guessing what I'm doing, you know. Uh, and so there's all kinds of audiences for all kinds of music. And, mm-hmm. you know, Tulsa's still a small enough town where. There just isn't an overwhelming bunch for anything that isn't super famous, you know right, what I mean? Right, And so that's kind of it in a nutshell, I'd yeah. say. But, you know, maybe leverage uh, the area and the desire for people that write songs around here to do something and build it into a project. I'm, I'm considering maybe putting together a compilation CD of local singer-songwriters, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, years ago, when I first 
hatch this idea. I'd registered the domain name Tulsa Uncovered. So I mean, it's a non-cover band mm-hmm. and I haven't done anything with it, but now that, uh, my Mark five label is out there, it's established and, um, uh, getting ready to release a bunch of more stuff. I thought, well, maybe we'll do a, a compilation of just Tulsa green country area singer songwriters and, you know, take a, take a song you haven't released yet and put them all together on a CD and yeah. see what happens. So, yeah. So be thinking about always, it. Those are always good. I'm on a couple of those already. And you know, it's always good cause you get a lot of different eyes looking at it no. that wouldn't necessarily maybe buy your album by itself, but right. you know, maybe they hear about you, you know, and that's kind of like earth, earth, bound way of promoting yourself sure sure the collaborative aspect of it is you know and that's the thing too like when i went to the uh hangover ball too just the collaborative aspect of what was going on and you know if we were to do a project like this maybe we just we put on a show where it would just go round robin like that Mm -hmm. everybody gets to do their stuff yeah those songwriter deals are good man i I mean just why not i mean what is it it's it's money (laughs) you know time and money and you know couple couple hundred bucks here and there to to get it published or if we press CDs, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so just some ideas and thoughts that I've had. Uh, so I guess uh, the takeaway from this is just write cool songs, huh? Well, <laughs> we wrote a lot yeah, of cool songs. I mean, huh? writing cool songs, that that's kind of it. You know, what I've realized is people respond to the song. Yeah. They don't care necessarily about the singer, but if they like the song, they respond that's to the true. song. That's true. That's true. And they, it doesn't matter how it's performed they respond some way to the song. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you think about, oh, I would just want to be the fastest guitarist in the West. Well, you know, when you look at someone who's at a concert, I mean, Steve Vai's fast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Zach Wilde is fast. What's fast? You're just chasing your tail. Right. And, you know, enduring like, all right, in 30 years, are people going to be humming this fast solo right. or are they going to be humming this song? Right. There's your answer. They're humming the song. Right. And if you can pack in some good, great musicianship into songs, like get people's attention for whatever reason, that's really where it's at. Sure. You know, there's, I've seen plenty of people that can just play circles around me, but they, they got no songs to work with. Right. right. They, they got no songs. They got licks. They got solos. They got some riffs, like, but they don't got any songs. You know, I heard somebody, and I'm probably not even phrasing it properly, but they said that the music is like a tant. Uh, Music's like a timestamp on your life. Yeah. You know, you, you listen to a song and you can, you'll know exactly where you were at that, that particular time you first heard it and what you were feeling, what you were going through and all that. And that's, that's really the beauty of, of music. It's just, you know, and I think that's one of the reasons why the older generation tend to, to listen to the, uh, the retro stations. Cause that's, that reminds them back. It's of, nostalgia. Of they, they have nothing that they can relate to these days. Cause you know, you caught in the, humdrum day in day out same old stuff so when a new tune comes out it's like okay well that's fine even if it is from somebody they recognize they're not they're not inclined to go buy a catalog what they call catalog artist music it's Mm -hmm. sad to say because you're like man you know james taylor's still playing you know (laughs) same 40 tunes he was playing probably in the 70s Right, right and you know he puts out an album and gets on few tv shows and whines about how nobody buys his records well you go see him and he he won't he doesn't really play a lot of his new music he's right. not making you listen to it right and so that's what i always loved about neil young is you just never know what you're gonna get you go and the new album might not be even out yet but he's gonna play the whole thing tonight and piss on you if you want to hear cinnamon <laughs> girl you're gonna have to either wait or we're not doing it mm-hmm. and that's cool to me because he's always doing something yeah. he's always putting out new music and whatever it is you just never know. And 
all you got to do is wait around. If you don't like this one, he's got something coming out yeah. new and you can check it out in three months. He's got something else coming out on the market. And so, yeah, yeah definitely. Well, it's been a, Digging through all the archives, like I said, I found a bunch of tapes, but I also dug up a couple of tunes that we recorded back in the day. Man, you sent me that one. <laughs> Sing a little song to Man. ease our minds. I could, I could, did I, I played bass uh, on that in mandolin. Uh huh. Right? Yeah, you did a lot of the stuff. Man, it didn't sound too bad. The no, vocals could no, be better, on, you know, but I think since we recorded that probably 15 years ago, mm -hmm. I would only expect we could do better at it. Yeah, yeah. I think I've improved a tad bit since then. I so. don't think the instruments sound too bad. No, no. I think we could work with that. Maybe recut we, the vocals and sound a we little We did that better. on the ADAT, I think, and then transferred it over to the Pro Tools. Oh, yeah. So it's one of the first ones we pulled in the Pro Tools. Yeah. And then uh, what was the other one? Legends in Our Minds. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, we were gigging a lot at the time, and it's like, you know, nobody really knows who we are, and uh, we should write a song about that. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you, we how to go you may not know our names but we're sure glad you came and something like that i i'm i was trying to think of that the other day you know and mm -hmm. I, I know i have the master tapes for that someplace but... well, i thought i sent you that one too i do have that one as well oh really yeah okay yeah. i think i do i'll have to check so. yeah right. and then we had that other one too good friends and a bottle of wine that i can't find a recording of so i think i, I got a master version of that too okay. someplace well, we need to go pull that into the system. And yeah. Again, well, let's so. hit the library, and we'll talk to these cats later. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Well, it was cool once again talking with you and uh, reliving life in Stillwater and in the songwriting and all that kind of stuff. So about the only advice I can give uh, to you guys out there is just, you know, write what you feel. You know, be true to yourself, and, you know, if – if you want to be a rock and roller, write rock and roll songs. If you want to sing country, write country songs. Just write, just write, write your stuff. You know, that's you don't like it, put it on the shelf. Go back and work on it later. So, yeah, that's any? that's good advice there. I mean, I just think focusing on what you really like, you know, yep. and finding out who you are is tough. But then once you can do that, then you accentuate who you mm -hmm. are, the good points of who you are, and get it out there. You know, there's. It's never the better time to be in an indie band or an yeah, indie artist than now. I know there's lots of gloom and doom on this show, I think, but <laughs> it really is the best time to be right. an indie artist because now it's, it's no holds barred. Right. Nobody's stopping you from running down the gate, you know, and so. It's easy. It's affordable and just get it out there. Get the content out there. Like you said, content is king. Mm -hmm. Not every not every article that shows up on the Washington Post is a, is a Pulitzer Prize winning article, but once in a while they are. So just just keep writing your songs, recording them, get them out there, share them with the world. Make sure you copyright them. Make sure that you go through the proper aggregators to get them out there. You know all the the stuff we're trying to teach you here. But yeah, and just have fun with it. If it's not fun, it's no point in doing it. No. So that's no, right. get a desk job. Yeah, because <laughs> those are so much more fun. Trust me. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for tuning in on this, this latest episode of Astute Observations and Insightful Discussions on Music, which we've had a lot of that today. Yeah, so, sure we have. Awesome. But uh, I am Mark, and this is Matt. And we will catch you next time. Peace. Peace.